Welcome to episode 21 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. I speak to Chris Richardson, founder and owner of Toge Tuning here in Toronto. Chris's shop does a ton of work building fast Subarus, are experts in force induction, and they know what it takes to build road-going track cars of varying degrees. As usual, we start with the moments that got Chris into cars and what started his passion. At the 25-minute mark, we get into how he started his shop from very modest beginnings, and then at about the 38-minute mark, we talk about what should be considered once you've decided that you want to become a better driver, take a car to the track, and eventually to go fast. To wrap things up, at around 46 minutes, Chris goes into Project North Star, the badass shop car that Toge have been meticulously building, documenting, and testing from its initial stock form to its extremely track-hungry state today. So, have a listen, and as usual, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. Which actually ties back to what I was going to say about the project. Yeah, I won't go into that. Save it, save it, save it. No, it's good. Okay, so we're going to get started. So um, welcome back to the Bucket Seat Podcast. Um, I'm here with my guest, Chris Richardson. So Chris, thank you so much for Thanks being for having here. Me. Um, Chris is the owner at uh, Toge Tuning here, I'm going to say Toronto, greater Toronto area, right? Um, so that's his speed shop. They specialize in Subaru, enforced induction, um, tuning builds, parts, accessories, kind of you name it. Um, and it's a bit of a family affair too. I think your brother's involved, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, Chris, thank you again for being here. Um, I think what we always like to do, I say we, it's just me right now, um, but <laughs> um, I, like to, I like to get a bit of a sense for the beginning. So everyone who comes tells me a bit of a story about what it was that inspired them, got them started in cars, what spurred it all on where the spark all started. So for you, what was it? Like, how did you get into tuning? I mean, how did, sorry, how did you get into cars before you ever even got into tuning? Like, what was it that did it? Um, it was definitely in, uh, in high school for me. Um, right around the time Fast and the Fierce came out, oddly <laughs> enough. Um, There's no shame in that. Yeah, there is no shame know, in I that. Went to see the movie um, and just kind of got hooked, started buying every import tuner magazine i could buy right uh sport compact car import tuner um super street honda tuning whatever it was nice is anything honda tuning I, still around is that still i, I don't public? think so yeah, most I of them the got consolidated into something bigger <laughs> um well that was kind of it um it just i like the mechanical aspect of it being able to make it your own the uniqueness of Mm-hmm. Um, the automotive scene that I guess was just developing at the time. Yeah. Um, and for, I mean, I think for the purists at the time, before that movie came out, it was kind of like the bastardization of the yeah. tuning, the yeah. entire tuning scene. Uh, I was saying, I think we were talking earlier too, I, I was I was really starting to get interested in cars about, I, I'm going to say it might not even been two years. It might have only been like one year before that movie came out. And when that movie came out, it just totally blew my mind. I'm like, ah, it's like all the cars that I've been looking at in Import Tuner magazine. And then realized, I was like, wait a minute, though. I mean, the ones that I'm looking at Import Tuner seem pretty legit. These don't seem yeah, quite the as underglow legit. and that sort of stuff. Oh, my God. Really... Underglow. Holy shit. Do people still do that? 
<laughs> Oddly enough, they do. Oh, man. Uh, uh, so, okay, so that got you into it. I mean, I share that. That's something we obviously have in common. Um, as much as, uh, you know, it comes under criticism for and it, it's some of its inaccuracies, I think, in the way that the cars and the tuning and the builds were all portrayed, the power, even the shifting, yeah, um, I think was, <laughs> the number uh, of was gears. pretty heavily embellished. Um, but, you know, it did a lot for the industry and, a, and a, a, you know, a generation of, you know, people who maybe got into cars just because of that. And I mean, it's nice to think, too, that what you've done with your shop and how it has played such, I mean, I'm going to say such a pivotal role in what's happening in Toronto and in particular in the Subaru scene, um, it probably wouldn't have existed without it. So thank you to the Fast and Furious uh, organization, to their whole legacy and rest in peace, Paul Walker. Um, he, he obviously played a huge role in that. Um, and so when we get through the, the whole like Fast and Furious inspiration, what was it at the time? Did you, did you have your own car at the time? No, no. I, uh, I want to say I had my G1, but mm-hmm. I, yeah, I didn't have my own car at the time. Yeah. I think uh, I was in a, I was driving a Dodge shadow at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I wished I had a car and I was planning and of course. that was what the magazines were for. Right? Yeah, yeah. You look at something, you go, I like that part. Okay. I, this is going to go on my list. Yeah. Um, and that became kind of, uh, something that I did throughout high school. Um, and a friend that we have in common, Yusuf, he'll attest to the fact that I would spend all of English class writing lists of what I wanted. And I would be <laughs> like, look at this, this is awesome. And he would get, he would be the one getting in trouble the teacher would be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> That's um, awesome. So, and was that, so were those that you were listing car by car by car of what you wanted? No. Or you were I, listing parts? <laughs> sadly, I, I, not sadly, I don't want to say sadly, but uh, I knew I wanted a Honda Civic. Yeah. And that, I, I was just going through every little part from, you know, bulbs to seats to steering wheels to, <laughs> you know, everything. I was totally there with you. That yeah. was there was one, I remember specifically, there was one guy in high school who had a red SI coupe that just, it was, it was what everybody wanted. And yeah. of course, you know, he, he told everybody that he'd done already a type R motor swap in it and he, he had an exhaust system and he had suspension and he did so actually like some fairly tasteful things to the car, but he was the envy of everyone at our school. And that for me was also like the first car. I do, I mean, very bashfully admit that at the time, I did think the Eclipse was kind of cool. Yep. And the GSR, when, yeah. or it was GSR GSX, the turbo, oh, uh, yeah. a friend of mine got one. His dad was like a truck driver and he put it in the back of his truck and brought it up from the US. And the first time I got in one of those, it was just maybe like two years after the original Fast and Furious. And it blew my mind. I was like, yeah. I finally did it. I mean, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a pretty funny moment um, until like, Five years later, when you realize those things didn't really age very gracefully, uh, the Civic, I think, still stands up to, to, the, to the test of time. But I, I definitely am with you on that. It was um, so. Were you an EG or an EK Civic guy at the time? I was an EK guy. Yeah. So yeah. EK was what everybody wanted. I, I ended up getting ten years, or not ten years later, maybe like six years later, seven years later, an EG hatch that I built up, kind of from the you know from the ground up. But uh, EK was where it was at at the time. So, okay, so we go from your list of car, sorry, your, your EK list of parts 
to then what was the first car you got into that was yours? Because I mean, I went from, you know, I had a car, which was a Dodge Shadow, and then I had a car, which was a Mercury Sable. Yeah. And then I had a car, which was a 91 240SX. And like, that was really my first car. So with that in mind, what was it, you know, what was it for you that ended up being like your first real car, the car that was yours? The first car I purchased, uh, was a 92 Honda Civic CX. Nice. <laughs> with a B18 swap. Ah, nice. Um, and did, you do this, did you do the swap? No. It was I, already swapped? Uh, so it's kind of a long story, but I actually <laughs> bought the car because it had the swap in it. Mm-hmm, it had mm-hmm. a B18BLS motor with a GSR transmission. And I hey. was like, great. The motor's worth more than the car, so yeah. I'll buy the car. <laughs> and... Uh, my poor mother at the time had an EK Civic <laughs> that I wanted nice. uh, that was automatic. Nice. Um, coupe hatch? Sedan. Uh, coupe, sorry. Coupe, coupe yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, coupe DX, automatic, slow, yeah. boring. Yeah. Uh, but it was black, which was good. Yeah. And I had it in my mind that I was going to take this motor and I was going to swap it into the EK, my dream car. And... Um, <laughs> That ended up happening. You did it. Nice. Yeah. Not that she was happy about it, but um, that really got me uh, got me started into, you know, the heavy modification, I would say, like, you know, doing auto, auto to manual conversion, swapping. Hey, that's no, I mean, it's a Honda, but there's still no small feet. No, like it's definitely easier than it, than it is now. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, that got me started. Um so the Civic CX was really bad, but it was white, blue interior, no, no air conditioning. Oh my God. The blue heat interior. barely worked. The heater core was clogged. It was horrible. <laughs> so, um, and uh, to, to further go along with that story, it was the first manual car that I'd ever driven. And I picked it up from, uh, Bay and Bluer and had to drive it home. And that was, uh, a long, you know, what should have been. 20 minutes took me probably two and a half hours to get home. <laughs> it's a steep learning curve. It was. First ever. Yeah. Every, all the hills seemed to be uphill on the yeah, way home. Of course. And no hill holder technology at that time. No, not, not happening. <laughs> E-brake. Oh man, that's incredible. Um, okay. So then, so you went through that. Um, now with that, with that car, I mean, did you end up like, did you, for me at least, I'll put it this way. When I got into my first car that I had owned, and when I was really, really heavily looking into, um, sorry, I, I made a mistake. When I said I, my first real car was my 91 240, that is not, that was my second real car. <laughs> my first real car was a 92 uh, EG Civic hatch, Tahitian green Ooh. that I ended up, <laughs> that I ended up like, you know, basically like stripping down with a, some help from some really good buddies. Uh, including the guy I was telling you about from Multimatic earlier, uh, he helped me. We, you know, we did suspension. Um, we did wheels and tires. Uh, we did a. I had a, a like a speed shop up in um, uh, up in Barrie actually do a D15B uh, swap. So you know, like yeah. tiny 130. I think it's 130 horse. It actually escapes me now. But power to weight ratio on that thing was awesome. It was just a total go kart. Yeah. Um, but what I remember so fondly was going through that car and knowing what information was available online and feeling somewhat empowered that like I could go and with the with a very few tools be able to kind of change 
modify, take apart, experiment with pretty much everything on that entire car, all just because of the internet. Yeah. And, you know, forums and like the Honda tuning forums, um, I just, I found that it was such an amazing resource. I actually learned a ton from it. Yeah. And I don't think that without where forums were at the time um, as an information source, I wouldn't have ever really stayed into cars. And so did that play a role? Like were forums and kind of like that information source for you um, an area that like helped kind of just like encourage you along and maybe allow you to tinker a bit more than you maybe would have with a Haynes manual? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, lots of late nights and Honda tech. Um, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, how am I going to put these two parts together? And then it's, you know, quick search on honda tech and somebody's done it somebody's done it and, and they, they photographed it and did yeah, it step by it, step i mean thank you to all those yeah, guys i think we have we definitely have it easy compared to back in the day where it was really trial and error there wasn't somebody to show you how things were done yeah um the you know i think it kind of went hand in hand fast and the furious the internet kind of mm-hmm. happened at the same time mm-hmm. and um, really blossomed this new car community this new culture that um you know, maybe the purists don't understand, but that's probably the way that we feel about the new Fast and the Furious movies that come out. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's blasphemy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, like, you guys just completely ruined it. But it was ruined in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's funny you say that because uh, when I had Jover on, um, you know, he's like I was saying, he's like the the OG when it comes to uh, A86s. He was saying, too, like before the Internet and he was subscribing to like email lists that were giving like you know taking you through like parts lists and like builds on all these a86s and without that even before that you had to know somebody like you had to know somebody who had torn that car apart built it rebuilt it broke it rebuilt it again and be able to tap into their learning and everybody was really secretive about it it was like no 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 like i earned it and now it's your turn to earn it. So I'll give you like a couple of the tools to go and, and fish with, but I'm not going to put the fish on a plate and slide it over to you. Like you've got to learn this yourself. So yeah. I agree with you. I think that we came through a very privileged time um, when it comes to information, what was accessible to us. And so with that being said, I mean, you know, the the way that it, it, the way that all of this kind of the, the industry has i think encouraged a lot of people has been through this kind of like do it yourself mentality or the ability to do it yourself so when you went from that civic like what was your next move i mean you obviously had all this you had you developed a, a, a ton of information and um, and skills with probably tinkering from the, with this car and then what was it when you got rid of that what was like the next step for you um i had a real affinity for for hondas um <laughs> i shared that affinity yeah with you. and you know my plan was to keep that civic forever like every every car guy says i'm going to keep this car forever i'm never going to get rid of it i put too much money into it mm-hmm. um i was planning on turboing it doing all this stuff and then reality kicked me in the butt and said you know you probably you're you know you're getting a little bit older now you need something that's a little bit more mature something you know with four doors um so i was looking around and i kind of wanted a tsx that at the time had just come out nice yeah and i was like oh yeah but they're not very fast and they're not very fun (coughs) um 
So, you know, I was pretty close to buying one. I wanted the G35 as well. I think they're an amazing sounding car. <laughs> they they did. They had such a unique sound at the time. Yeah. Like that was really that was something that stood out. And then, you know, kind of stumbled upon, you know, it was around the time where buying cars in the US was really popular for Canadians. You can mm-hmm. save a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And I found a great deal on a Legacy GT, an 07. No way. Brand brand new. Um, Wagon? No, sedan. Sedan, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was going to cost me the same as what a used TSX was going to cost me. And I said, you know, it was a no-brainer for me. OEM turbo car, you know, four-wheel drive. Um, I had never been really, like, strong with the Subaru brand. I wasn't, you know, a diehard Subaru guy. Yeah. Uh, and I pulled the trigger and, you know, never looked back. Um you know, that was probably, I would say, my favorite car that I've ever owned. No kidding. Um, if I wish I still had it to this day, but, you know, accidents happen. <laughs> oh, no. Was it was it literally an accident? Yeah. Somebody caught, cut me off on the highway and uh, oh. ended up just bending the frame off of uh, the 427 barriers. Oh, my God. So it was a pretty rough accident, but it also sold me on Subaru safety. I was I, just going to say, I walked yeah. away, and they're like, that's your car, and you're walking out. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Huh. There it is, yeah. I mean, there's there is no questions, and I always kind of give the, you know, I give the full disclaimer that obviously I am biased, but uh, at the same point, you know, you've made your, your career off of, uh, off of a brand like Subaru, and I think that... I mean, there's a ton of merit to it. Anyways, we'll talk about that later. But um, okay, so uh, in terms of then getting to getting to the shop, like getting to the the era of Toge and Toge tuning as your brand and as your shop, and um, you know, wh- how did you get to that point? Like, what was it that um, what was it that that allowed you to, or what was it that you challenged yourself to do? to take that step to have your own brand, your own shop and like a fully operational business. I mean, it, it, that's a big step to take. I mean, it always fascinates me what it was that, like, what was that moment? What, what do you feel like that moment was? Um, this was still around the civic times. I was, a you know, big part of Toronto civics club, which I think is still around. I'm not too sure. I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, as a moderator, was at all of the meets, really invested into it. Um, but the one thing that I kept having issues with was trying to get parts, trying to find, you know, somebody that wasn't trying to charge you an arm and a leg because these were the days when, you know, places were marking up stuff two, three hundred percent. And there was a lack of reliability. Nobody was accountable. Um, the few places that sort of were, um, you know, they all had their kind of issues and I, I, mm-hmm. I just said you know why don't I just do this why you know I know I can do a better job than than what's currently available and so I just you know took a credit card got a business license and just started buying and selling parts okay. but you had no location at this time right no this was uh, in my grandparents basement no kidding yeah. amazing yeah um, you know I had graduated high school wasn't sure what I wanted to do um, as a career. I did a little bit of time at uh, Centennial College for automotive. Mm-hmm. Um, realized I enjoyed working on cars, but it wasn't what I wanted to do as a job. Um, and that I'd always had, you know, a feeling like I wanted to be a business owner. I liked, you know, 
growing and building something and not being accountable to anybody but yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And that really resonated with me. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of how it started. You know, business license. I didn't borrow any money. I basically was, you know, I set up some accounts with a couple businesses that nobody was really selling, but I knew that they had a good product and that I could resell it. So somebody would order something, I would get it shipped to them. It was sort of a drop ship. Um, and that's really how it started. Yeah. That was amazing. And so, I mean, were, I, I, was it all essentially, um, was it all parts on demand that you were being, that you were able to um, At first, kind of like yeah. facilitate that through? So you weren't warehousing, you weren't inventorying anything? No. Um, the only, like I would, I was stocking some stuff, but it was really small because, you know, I didn't have the money up front to to invest, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars in inventory. So, the, uh, the the main parts that I was stocking, funny enough, are magnetic drain plugs, which sounds really stupid. No, but uh, they were really inexpensive. Everybody wanted one, and you know the margins were great and you didn't feel like you were ripping somebody off because it's a useful thing totally um and that was the only thing that i really stocked and i would order those by the hundreds and i would sell them and i would i was shipping into the u.s so shipping across canada no kidding oh, um, shit. Uh, that was at the time honda tech wasn't expensive to be a vendor on there <laughs> since it's since changed as people realize the monetary value of owning these forms is uh, pretty significant um and that you know that was the first little bit, and then as I got uh, a little, made a little bit of money, I've reinvested it into having more stuff because I felt like the on-demand, being able to order something and have it right away, was really important for people. They didn't want to be waiting, you know, three or four weeks for something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, huge, huge part of also the internet's influence is that you know you click buy, like I want it tomorrow. Yeah. I want it in like six hours at my door. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting worse. Yeah, it is. Um, and that went on for, um, I want to say, a year. And then uh, me and my mother moved out. We moved into an apartment. Um, and the business was still still growing. At the time, I was still working a part-time job. Um, and it was just kind of letting the business do its own thing. Um I wasn't concerned about uh, becoming rich off of this because mm-hmm. everybody that I talked to said, you're never going to get rich doing this. <laughs> um, I just, just doing it for the passion, helping out friends, you know, getting people deals, you know, yeah, being involved in the civic club. It was great because I had a lot of people that needed stuff so I could help them out and they would refer somebody. Um, and it just snowballed from there. And then it went from, shipping a lot of stuff out to um, basically almost all hours of the day arranging and meeting up with people at gas stations at Tim Hortons (laughs) delivering them parts Um, and it it really seems weird now when I talk about it but no but it's like anybody who's been through it anyone who's been a part of one of those communities knows exactly what you're talking about like you know two guys meet in a gas station you pop the trunk 
one hands money to the other and then uh, parts get exchanged. Yeah, so you're like, um, there's like a used Type R front lip coming out of the back of the guy's yeah. trunk. And you're like, yeah, here's like 300 bucks for it. Yeah, it was it was uh, weird. and um, But I, I felt like I started dealing with um, old, you know, more mature people and the fact that they were trusting me and believed that I knew what I was talking about and that I was giving them a good deal and selling them the right parts, you know, encouraged me to continue. It was awesome. And so that was, um, so you'd, at this point you were in your legacy GT, but you're still a huge part of the, the, the civic community. Uh, yeah. So I want to say I got my legacy in 07, sometime in 07. Um, this was right around the time when there was a big, uh, a big fire in the States in the port and a lot of cars got destroyed or had ash and stuff. Mm. Um, so I'm not exactly sure on the timeline, but I started the business in 2006. So around that time, you know, I had my Civic and then I was like, okay, time to get rid of this thing. Um, oddly enough, I had it for a few more years because you just couldn't, I couldn't get myself to part with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the Subaru became, you know, really the only thing that I was focused on. Um, Did you make it go fast? Yeah, I mean, not as fast as some of the stuff we do now, but at the time, <laughs> going from, you know, a Civic to that, it was, like, mind-blowing. Yeah, I bet. Um, but I, I've always been more of uh, the, the understated simple type, you know, suspension, sway bars, uh, turbo back exhaust, intake, uh, custom tune. I, I tried to keep it simple. I didn't really want to go crazy with it um no underglow not on that car <laughs> no i won't admit to doing that previously um okay so uh now we're in the era of toge tuning officially um you know you're running your business um you're helping a lot of people with parts you've now become a bit of a trusted name in terms of supplying people with those uh, at what point was it that you moved on to having like your brick and mortar shop? So let me think about this. Um, it was about 2009. It took me a long time mm -hmm. to make mm -hmm. that decision. Um, I've always been really cautious about making big decisions and uh, I'm not a two foot two feet first person i might you mm -hmm. know check the water see if it's okay first <laughs> um so it took me a long time to make that decision um and then yeah in 2009 i leased my first uh location a small you know 800 square foot seems small now uh, 800 square foot facility not facility it was just a, a unit with a waiting area which i didn't really need right not the same space you're in now no no. Um, and my desk, you know, was in the back of the warehouse, um, you know, to cut costs. I turned the uh, turned the natural gas off so that I didn't have heat. I had an electric <laughs> heater key to my feet. Good for you. It That's was, awesome. It was, uh, it was tough. Um, but, you know, the, the tough times are yeah, what kind of... Yeah, frugal and smart times. No, I mean, it's yeah. very commendable. Yeah. Um, yeah, so 2009 I did that, and okay. I, was, I was still working part-time. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, you know, working at night, doing security, and then I was going to the uh, to the business and doing that, helping, you know, in-store customers, shipping out stuff, receiving shipments. Um, yeah, it was, I did that for, 
about two and a half years and I got to the point where we were selling enough stuff that I knew we needed a bigger location. Um, but we were also having this, an issue where there wasn't enough people that could install the parts properly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We started having people buy stuff, go somewhere to get it installed. That place would say, this doesn't fit. This doesn't work. This isn't the right part. Oh, no. And then the customer would come back angry at me. And I knew it was right. So I said, you know, same thing. The reason I started my business, I can do this better than mm -hmm. the people that are doing it. And at this point, I had learned so much about, you know, building cars, developing stuff. We had consulted on um, a lot of different builds. We did, um, I want to say 2010. Uh, we worked with NOS Energy Drink. We did a, um, a video series with them. Um, and that really, you know, well, well, sorry, what was the, what was the video series? Like what was the, uh, it was basically NOS, NOS Energy Drink wanted to make an impact. They wanted to come mm -hmm. into the Canadian market. Yeah. They didn't have they a didn't presence take a at all. Monster and Red Bull um, and everybody. Yeah. And through, through, uh, a relationship with, with my good buddy, Yusuf, um, he connected us with, uh, he was working with that and he said, okay, mm -hmm. I have somebody that I know can help do make this video uh the premise was we're going to take three guys uh three models <laughs> three guys three mechanics three models three golf carts three motorcycle engines and we're going to give them uh air quotes 24 hours crazy uh, to put these two together <laughs> um and so they put us in charge they put basically me in charge of sourcing the parts doing a test cart, making sure that it was possible to do this in a reasonable amount of time, what kind of equipment they were, they were going to need on set, um, a general idea of what, what would have to be done, um, safety equipment, that sort of stuff. So, uh, we did that and, and it worked out. It wasn't 24 hours and, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever, worked so many hours straight in my entire life mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but it was worthwhile and uh i got to meet patrick carpentier was part of it no kidding and no. you know i got to have uh, lunch with him i drove him back to his hotel he's a really down-to-earth great guy um really great story even just about you know canadian good canadian boy that yeah uh you know made it as made it as a racer um so that was a, a good highlight for, for me. And it, it gave me the confidence to know that, you know, if we open, if I opened up a shop that, you know, things would go good. Yeah. As confident as I could be. <laughs> so, okay. So you've got your shop, you've gone through this. I mean, that, that must've been a, a fairly nice kind of feather in your cap in terms of uh, the confidence that an organization like that was yeah. able to bring you. Yeah. Um, now, so you've moved on. At this point, I imagine you've gone from your 800 square foot space into something a bit bigger. Is that your current space now? Yeah. Yeah. So we moved into uh, 2,500 square feet. Um, and that seemed like a big jump at the time. But in in hindsight... <laughs> It always it always seems like you have so much space to have fun, and then you're like, oh, well, where did it all where from? did where did all that space go? Yeah. Um, so we did that, and you know, just been grinding away, working hard every day, trying to do the best we can for our customers. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you guys are doing some super cool shit. So I think it's probably good to be able to give everyone listening a bit of an idea of what it is <clears throat> now. Because, I mean, you've really evolved beyond what you started the business with. Um, and now you've got, I mean, if you look at your Facebook page or your Instagram feed at any point in time, all I see are these, <clears throat> excuse me, these amazing cars uh, that are, are, I mean, these are not you know, subtle in most ways. I mean, you, you see them and in a lot of cases, what I really like about them uh, and a lot of the project you guys are building are um, aesthetically pretty, like, I mean, pretty unassuming yeah. to the most part. Um, that's totally kind of my take on what I like to do with cars. Uh, but then when it comes to like power, suspension, you know, all of the, basically like, all of the elements that help you go fast without looking fast yeah. um, are really your forte. Yeah. So what is it that you guys do for your customers today? Like in kind of a general, just give us like the general overview of it. Uh, are you referring to as just like a day-to-day thing or just... Yeah, like I mean for me coming in as a customer, what could I expect for you guys to be able to help me out with? I mean okay. there are some shops that, you know... Uh, I know it's not you, but for example, they would just help me with aesthetics, you know, it's like they're all about body kits and wide fenders and, you know, crazy, you know, vinyl wrap jobs and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I know that's not what you guys do, but maybe just give it like the top line. Yeah. Our our primary focus, as you kind of touched on, is like the stuff that's going to make a difference, a noticeable difference in, you know, horsepower, handling, grip, braking, something that makes... You know, a dynamic difference versus the static stuff. Um, you know, I can appreciate a pretty car with a fancy body kit, and mm-hmm. uh, even really, you know, not even just a body kit, uh, aerodynamic uh, package. Um, but it's all so personal that it, it's never been what we focused on. I would rather have a car that looks. 100% stock with maybe wheels, <laughs> but will blow the doors off of just about anything. Um, I'm so there with you on yeah. that. Yeah. So we do a lot of, you know, consultation. We get people, we get a lot of first time customers, that, you know, with the new uh, generation of Subaru. It's been great. We've got a lot of first time Subaru customers that may, may have never modified a car in their life and they come in looking for advice and a path to go upon. Um, and that's what we really try to help people with is get an idea of where they want to go, what their budget is, what they want to get out of the car. Um, and then we can start them on a path of like, buy this because you're going to need this down the road type Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've kind of, I don't want to say we've got it down to a science because it's not really scientific, but, um, we have, you know, we know what works. We've we test it on our own cars every person that works at at the shop owns a subaru um my mom drives a subaru my girlfriend (laughs) drives a subaru it's uh you know we have a lot of them we test different things if i'm curious about a new part we'll order it test it first before we even you know whisper the name to anybody because i don't want to be the guy that says oh this is the latest greatest you know uh, snake oil and then all of a sudden it you know blows up in your face right um, well that's what I found too about you guys so I ironically came to you guys before I even knew Yusuf and the connection between you guys yeah um, I just you know I mean being so passionate about Subaru before I was actually even working on the Subaru brand um, in my you know day job 
um, I'd found you what I think that you touched on this, but I, I'd really found to be one of the most encouraging parts of, um, of a relationship with you guys was that when I came in, I didn't feel like you were trying to just like immediately build my car to a 500 horsepower monster and tell me that I needed, uh, you know, a hundred thousand parts and, you know, $35,000 worth of parts and labor on top of it. Like that's the only way you're going to get it. And if you don't want to do that, then, you know, out the door you go. Instead, you'd helped me with both some advice on some really, um, I'm not going to say conservative, but I mean, to a certain extent, conservative based on what some of your customers have done, um, recommendations on what I could do to just like the simple things like helping my, you know, a couple of great like upgrades on sway bars and better wheels and tires. And, you know, like just even like simple little bits, like rolling my fenders and making sure that like everything's properly taken care of and the care you took, even in just like rolling the fenders and treating them again afterwards, knowing that like, you know, nothing's going to rust and everything's all taken care of properly there. Uh, But then I remember I'd asked, I was like, so what do you think is next? And I was waiting for this pitch back from you to say, well, I mean, you know, you can go with a bigger turbo, you can, you know, upgrade your intercooler. There's all these things that you could immediately be doing. And you're like, "Mm, you should probably go with like an, I was, as an air oil separator. Right. And you're like, that's probably your next step. And then I was waiting for it. I was like, and? <laughs> no, no, that's it. That's really, that's that's what you should go with. Um, and I think you gained so much respect for me in terms of, you know, my whole approach to it because you knew that I wasn't going to go out. I wasn't going out every weekend and like, like absolutely, you know, killing this thing on a track. I got out for a couple of really modest, um, a couple of really modest like autocross days. And yeah. that was kind of it for me. Um, but so I'm going to come back to the shop, but I think that like kind of moving into this world of, being able to have a streetable car as your daily driver and then also being able to take it to the track and be able to have fun with it and have a re- have reliable fun with it is something that I think you guys have done super well. And so with that, I mean, I know you do a lot of time attack racing and CSCS is your kind of like, that's your, that's your primary circuit. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you guys are obviously very um, well respected when it comes to building cars, but at the same time, you know, you're you're pretty handy behind a wheel as well. <laughs> um, and so, you know, tell me about it in terms of, um, you know, uh, I think there's CSCS and kind of what you're doing there, but then the other side of it is if somebody wanted to get into, if somebody wanted to get into doing more than just you know daily driving their car. Uh, and they're starting to do these things to it. Um, what would you say? What would you say are your, you know, your most the most important pieces to that equation? Um, you know, is it? Uh, I, I mean, I kind of know the answers to this, but at the same point, you know, is it? Um, you know, is it a is it a certain build on your car? Is it track time? Is it you know? Is it the organization that you're getting behind and some of the aftermarket support? Or like, what would you say are the most important things for someone who's just who's never been to a track before, has their Subaru, they bought the new WRX, and they just want to get used to the car? Uh, where would you guide them? Um, first things first change your brake fluid that, that <laughs> right. you know is kind of a given or it should be um and then seat time you know there's a lot right. of great yeah. performance driving schools at pretty much everywhere across the country whether it be an autocross school or an on-track school um, a lot of people want to just go to a lapping day and uh you know try and learn on their own um but it's kind of like you know trying to become uh 
world-class archer with no instruction or something mm-hmm. like that. Like if you don't have somebody to tell you what you're doing wrong, then you're just going to keep doing the same wrong thing over and over and over again. Right. And the equipment won't matter. No, exactly. You can have the best equipment and have no skill and um, you can have all the skill and really bad equipment and, you know, just look amazing. Right. Um, so driver education, we're a huge proponent of that. A lot of people come in and we get lots of guys and maybe they don't want to hear it, but they say, oh, I need more power. I need this. I need that. And they say, why don't you just sign up for a driving school and see, you know, in an, in a safe environment at the limit, really what's wrong with your car or really what's wrong with the nut behind the wheel and what, how you can fix that. Because a lot of guys well, I shouldn't say guys. A lot of people. There's a lot. You know, it's uh, Subaru is a. It's not just a male brand. There's a lot yeah, of, of women course, that yeah. drive Subarus and love them. Um, you know, people come in and they think that they're uh, Lewis Hamilton behind the wheel, and that they can tell that a car is doing this while going through. You know young and bluer intersection and it's like okay i don't i don't think i don't think you can feel that i don't think the car is doing that and even at times you know uh going kind of along with what you were saying before about uh we don't try to sell people a ton of stuff you know there's been a few customers that have come and said my car is doing this uh i need to i need to change something i need a bigger sway bar i need to change the spring rate and I'll take their car and put them in the passenger seat and I'll drive around our area and I'll show them, look, there's nothing wrong with your car. If I can get it to do this going around a corner at twice the speed you're used to without having issues, it's probably not the car's problem. <laughs> um, and some people, a lot, of, a lot of people take that to heart and um, realize that, you know, I'm trying to guide them in the right direction. Some people are like, oh... You know, you're just trying to show off or something like yeah. that. But at the same time, they should be going, wait a minute, why isn't he trying to sell me something? Yeah, I mean, I hear that all the time. Why, you know, why aren't you trying to upsell me on this? Why? Because uh, we like to build relationships with people. You know, mm-hmm. if you've been to you've been to our current location. Mm-hmm. Uh, you walk in, it's not your typical automotive. Uh, business we don't have parts strewn all over the wall we don't have fancy doodads or tow hooks or mm-hmm. spiky lug nuts um, that's not what we do i've always felt like i want somebody to come in and i want to have a conversation with them rather than just say okay what do you want from my cabinet and you know get and the person out of the door that's <laughs> i remember the first thing i walked in it's so funny you said brake fluid like the first thing I saw when I walked in, I think, was oil and brake fluid. Yeah. You're like, yeah, that's that's what it was. And a driving simulator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to me, like, we've always tried to be different and tried to push people into the direction of being uh, more connected to their car and understanding what their car is capable of. And um, a good example is uh, anybody that's familiar with us, we're suggest a lot of people go to the Hanson Advanced Driving School. Mm-hmm. Uh, fir- I've still yet to be. That's definitely yeah. top on my list the, right now. The first time I went to it, I believe, was like three or four years ago. And, you know, they had a good turnout. There was a lot of people there, but they weren't sold out. Um, a great experience. Um, a lot of good instructors who some of them are even customers of mine um, or that are instructors there or that have gone through the course. You meet a lot of great people. 
Uh, fast forward to now, their June event is sold out already. Last year, their first event, uh, they have about 60 cars that they do. 50% of them are Subarus. And wow. uh, Peter Hansen, who runs the school, said to me that he'd probably attribute, you know, almost all 30 of those to people that I had referred to and said, like, people would come and I would print off the registration form and give it to them. And I would say, you are so, you better sign up. Like, just do it. So good. So good. Um, um, okay. So let's say we've gone, we've gotten people interested in uh, the idea of driver education because I think... A lot of us would probably agree, or at least you know, those of us who have been you know doing this for long enough, the first modification should, other than brake fluid, should probably be yourself. Yeah. Um, and seat time, driver education, getting behind the wheel, getting out there, and actually just like driving, understanding kind of like what are the limits, where yeah. are the thresholds, like how does this how does this vehicle behave? Uh, you know, the differences between a rear wheel drive, a front wheel drive and an all wheel drive vehicle and how it behaves differently in different scenarios on a racetrack or in a you know safe setting are also super, super important. Um, so, OK, let's say now we've moved beyond that. And I, I know that there are some, you know, some listeners and people that are very interested in this as well is that we've gotten to that point. I'm now a competent driver. Uh, I really know how to push my vehicle with some very modest modifications to the car just to help kind of just with the characteristics of driving. And I want to go further. Um, you know, I want to go a lot further. Let's say I want to go a lot further and yeah. I've become an amazing driver. Um, you've built some really, really interesting vehicles um, at Toge. And so one of them I know is one that's, you know, something that you guys have spent some time on, which is Project North Star. Um, maybe you can just kind of walk us through what Project North Star is. Um, you know, you can get nerdy on it with like the specs too, uh, because we're all, I think, anxious to understand it and just know, because I think it's really shown what some of the limits are of, um, of a vehicle of kind of its nature. I'll let you explain what it is, um, and where you can take it, um, and where you can take it safely and responsibly too. Right. Um, well, I mean. It's a base model 2015 Subaru WRX. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing super special about it. I mean, other than probably the best chassis that Subaru's ever come out with. Um, but yeah, we bought. I, I bought that as my daily driver. It's sitting on the block. Mm-hmm. Um, I drove it here. I drive it every day. Um, when we got it, you know me and uh, the guys sat down and I said like we need to do this methodically and do it properly because it's easy to go and throw you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars at a car and make it look cool and everybody's gonna be talking about it and seeing pictures of it but I really want to know what the limits of this car are what can you do out of the box so we literally took it to the track stock bone stock with a lap timer set a baseline and then that at that same day reflashed it with a cob access port put it as a quote-unquote stage one mm-hmm. um and saw you know half a second i think difference in terms of lap time and you know i'm not a formula one driver i can't do you know back-to-back laps at like hundreds of a second <laughs> yeah. but i'm pretty close to you know mm-hmm. i'm pretty consistent with like being within you know 10th or you know half a second um 
so we did that and then we just kind of ramped it up we you know we did some dyno testing um we kept but we the philosophy was like every other build keep it simple do things that our customers could do themselves something a guideline that somebody could follow so you know intake turbo back exhaust uh tgv or tumbler generator valve uh deletes uh, exhaust gas recirculation delete which is more of a safety thing along the lines of an aos which it also has mm-hmm. um and that was the the starting point for it um and with that i just kind of started to find the limits of the brakes so we replaced the brake pads um found the limit of those pretty quickly um and then moved on to stop tech big brakes in the front um and then stop tech big brakes in the back eventually uh and then a rear sway bar and that was that was kind of it for the most part we got to the point where the car wasn't going much faster um and i knew you know the next step was going to be something with drivetrain the the uh torque vectoring brake bias system will work great on the road <laughs> um but on track it just doesn't cut it the the open differentials don't really work very well on track mm-hmm. um so the next step was you know take an sdi drivetrain and put it in we left the engine because that was the purpose of having that car was we wanted to work on the newest subaru motor we've done right. enough with the ej stuff we yeah, understand that two liter is um, let's go with this you know new engine and see what we can do out of it um so we did that we put sdi transmission sdi rear diff uh, we did a differential controller carbon drive shaft um well, i didn't realize you did a carbon drive shaft in it too that that actually was not not planned um with <laughs> With the swap, we actually got uh, a 2013 drive shaft, which apparently I didn't know at the time was shorter. <laughs> so we got to the point where we had one piece left, and Subaru Canada had no 2015 STI drive shafts in the country, and there was none in the US. Wow. So the only option was to order a carbon drive shaft, which I mean, it's never a bad thing. Yeah, no kidding. Any excuse to order nicer parts, right? Yeah. Um, so we did that and that was a huge difference. Um, you know, the car went over a second and a half faster. Um, that, that and the brakes were probably the two biggest changes, um, noticeably on track. And that's kind of where it sits right now. The suspension is stock except for the sway bar. I think Subaru's done an amazing job on that. The chassis is stiff. The motor hasn't skipped a beat. Um, cooked the turbo, but you know it smokes a little bit. But this little smoke never hurt anybody. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's been awesome. I've competed in two two seasons with that back to back. The first season I finished second overall in in our street all wheel drive class. Last year I tied for first um in the same class which had i think 26 competitors overall which it was like the most hotly contested class um and yeah that's that's where it sits now the next steps for that i haven't decided yet (laughs) um i'd like to 
partner with the suspension company and actually see what we can do. We have we have enough information that we know how fast it can go now, mm-hmm. and it would be nice to see what just changing the suspension will do. Right. Um, and so throughout that whole build process, we did essentially one, maybe two things at the most between times going to the track. So hmm. we would change the sway bar and then go to the track or we would change the front brakes or we would change um you know add the rear brakes we would just do it piece by piece because i wanted to to um be able to track how much each piece was really worth there's a lot of a lot of stuff that you can put on your car that's not going to make you go any faster Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to say, okay, this did make a difference and changed my lap time was important validation. Awesome. Um, okay. So project North star, I mean, I, and if you follow your Facebook or your Instagram account, I mean, it's inevitable. You're going to be able to run across it because you guys have some pretty awesome photos up and yeah. some great videos. There's some too. great photographers out there. Yeah. There's some good stuff coming through on it. And I mean, and I know you've done some, some pretty wild builds. I, I, I went around the block in one of your customers' cars. Okay. Uh, probably the silver WX. Yeah, hatchback. The hatch, yeah, yeah. same that usually, line, which was, yeah. <laughs> was that usually makes most people wish they had a faster car. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was pretty outrageous. It was pretty outrageous. Anyways, we won't go into that because I know that that's like that's of the world that you know is very uh, possible. But I think that's also for those who are you know at that level where they know that they need that or they really really want that. Um, yeah. I think I like to stick with what I think is going to help people in terms of like they're both, you know, the the level of achieving balance between daily driver and track weapon, because, you know, realistically, that's kind of who listens to the show too is yeah. uh, those who I think appreciate that, that balance. So, um, so with that, um, I, you know, I think that um, you, you took us to a really interesting place with project North star Um I you know who knows what Subaru has in 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 store for the next generation. Somebody SDI. knows, uh, but uh, but I, I have a feeling it'll be it'll be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they've got uh, when it comes to that product. Um, but um, I think that <clears throat> this is probably a good place to uh, to be able to cut us off because we're getting close to almost an hour here now. And um, what I like to leave with is where can everybody find you online, Chris? Like, where can we find Toge? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook's uh, search Toge Tuning, togetuning.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we have a slowly blossoming YouTube channel that we're trying awesome. to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, you know, we're on, active on the forums, not as active as we used to be, but. Um, yeah, those are the best places. I would say Facebook, you know, is the best way to see what we're doing on a regular basis. Yeah, you guys have got a really good following there. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, Facebook, uh, Instagram, follow, uh, you know, togetuning.ca. Com. Dot com. Um, you guys have a really good, um, you guys have a really good e-com um, tool on your site too. I've found that to be super useful. So check that out for all your needs. 
um, <clears throat> Subaru and not. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, access to other stuff on there too. But um, Chris, thank you so much for coming in. Um, I love being able to talk to everybody who uh, just plays such an interesting role. What's happening in automotive? In, I say in Canada. I mean, Toronto is a big hub from what's happening right now. So um, I think you guys are playing a, a really big and important role in that. I appreciate what you guys are doing from both Subaru's perspective but also from kind of a tuning and both driver education and an influence in terms of getting people up to the right um, to the right level without necessarily making anyone feel uncomfortable and having to invest a ton of money. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, to everybody listening, so this has been episode 20 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne. Stay tuned for episode 21, uh, 22, 23. That'll all be season two. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can follow us on Shout Engine, on Stitcher, on iTunes, on Instagram, on YouTube very shortly. And um, eventually I'll get myself a Facebook page. But for now, um, stay tuned and, uh, and have fun out there. Cheers. <laughs>